If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. You're listening to Joe Hoft on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, good morning and happy Monday to you, wherever you might be here in the U.S., here uh, overseas, wherever they may be. Good morning, good evening, good night, and thank you for listening to The Joe Hoff Show. We've got another great show today, another uh, great um, you know list of guests this week. Uh, we're just knocking it out of the park here on this show, just really thrilled about the quality of individuals that are uh, offering to come on the show and today is no exception. We have the great George Papadopoulos. Young George will be joining us here uh, after the first break. Really looking forward to that because I've, I haven't talked to him before. I've actually talked to his wife, uh, Simone, uh, a number of times and have communicated with her, but have never communicated with George. So really looking forward to having him on the on the uh, on the, on the show. We, um, you know, he was he was uh, relatively unknown until until the 2016 election and uh at that point in time his life changed uh, drastically it'll be really fun to listen to what he has to say he uh he's an american hero he did nothing wrong he was just a young guy overseas trying to trying to make a make a buck and help people out and uh was actually as i recall we'll bring this up with george i believe he was working for israel at the time uh, trying to help them with some oil uh, that they had uh, found in the Mediterranean and and building a pipeline to Europe with that oil. I think it was eventually overturned. The EU ended up going with Russian oil, basically Russian and Ukraine oil, and uh, shut Israel out. But they've got a uh, they had a they had a large reserve there that George was uh, first uh, moving, and uh, that I wonder. Knowing Barack Obama, if that was the reason why he targeted young George. George was one of the few individuals listed on this uh, group of individuals that his team gave him and uh, that uh, that were foreign individuals. Because the media all of a sudden went on this strategy, asked Trump what he uh, what what foreign policy he has. He doesn't know anything about foreign policy was that was the message. The media, the media hated President Trump because he was uh, standing up for a good America, free America and our media and our big tech. And uh, they stand up for a, a world economic forum, China, and uh, really the destruction of the great United States of America. So young George was caught in the middle and his story is amazing as, as we've found out he was uh, targeted by the uh, Obama slash Biden White House and administration and DOJ and FBI and CIA and he was uh he was uh, uh, eventually arrested and uh, eventually even incarcerated for a short period of time all for doing nothing did nothing wrong this is the the monsters that we have running this country now it's got it's it's, it's even up the level now but with obama behind the scenes and the senile uh, biden uh you know walking around like an idiot uh senile lost old man claiming that uh and still parading around as if uh he's president after that stolen 2020 election it's just a horror show it's what we're seeing in America today, just an absolute horror show. And the world sees it. And that's why we've seen uh, a number of, uh, you know, just horrible things happen internationally uh, during this Biden administration. You know, I just heard the other day that Biden uh, is and, and Blinken now are wanting to 
uh, re-merge uh, uh, military operations with China. It's like, what in the hell are these people thinking? Giving our intel, our information, our intellectual property to China. So that's what's going to happen. These people hate America. They love China. And this is what's going on. It's just an absolute nightmare uh, with uh, with what's going on in this in, in this day and age after the stolen election. It's just horrible. I was talking to some individuals uh, this morning on another radio show about uh, some things that we're seeing in the U.S. You talk about the destruction of the U.S., especially, I think, what really woke a lot of Americans up was when they saw Hamas attack and invade, murder, rape, and kidnap Israelis. When that happened, Americans were like, wait a minute. And that's the first thing I thought of, too. I saw a gunfight between Hamas and Israeli soldiers on a highway. People are pulled over to the side trying somehow, I guess, to stay safe. And, um, it, you know, I thought, man, that could be happening here. That could easily happen here. And what's happening is the Obama, O'Biden, uh, Mayorkas administration is allowing people to cross our border, even aiding them. We are paying for buses. By the busload of the U.S., I heard the Defense Department is paying for these buses, bus loads, mega, multiple buses, of people coming to this country that have crossed uh, uh, in, into Panama, Panama through some of the most dangerous uh, you know, trek of land maybe on this earth. A number of people getting murdered, women are getting raped, children are getting raped, their parents murdered. Uh, it's just a horrible situation down there. People that have survived it are saying, I'd never do it again. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Somehow then they get into uh, Panama and buses are there, charter buses are there to escort these individuals all the way to the U.S. border. And then we have buses at the U.S. border shooting these people throughout the U.S. And, and the piece that I saw this morning, somebody sent me overnight, is this busload of people that uh, get pulls over in Sykeston, Missouri. It's not a large town. It's on, uh, as I recall, it's on Interstate 44, I believe, 4455 used to live in St. Louis. And uh, this bus pulls over in a big parking lot, opens the doors, and these men of military age walk out. The guy that walks out first with the beard looks like he's uh, the commander. And we don't know where they're from, dark-skinned men. And they uh, walk out, and they follow this leader across this parking lot. And some guy was there just filming the whole thing says, I can't believe this. This is in Sykeston, Missouri. Big old white charter bus. You'll see them now. Start noticing them. I've, I've seen them on the road myself. These are these are buses that are being paid for by the Biden administration. It's not the U.S. taxpayer because we're we're going in debt $2 trillion per year. And uh, I, by the way, I spoke about that last uh, week on uh, Brandon House's show about uh, what's this mean? What's it going to happen to America as we went out and tried to sell some U.S. bonds last week and the going rate was not accepted and they ended up to sell them the rate skyrocketed, which means that the mortgage rates are going to have to skyrocket, which means that banks' uh, asset balances are going to plummet, which means we're going to have more banks that uh, go under. That we, like like uh, the Silicon uh, Valley Bank, which means uh, inflation is going to increase rapidly, which means that the regular American whose salary hasn't increased a bit since Biden came into office because the economy is so such 
you know, crap, uh, their, their weekly amounts for food, et cetera, are going to go up, which means that the mortgage rates and mortgages for the average American buying a home today are going to be 50% of their income. Whereas in the past and under only three years ago under President Trump, it was maybe lower than it's been in 20 some years where it was like 27% of the average family's uh, income going towards a mortgage. Now it's going up to 50% with rates skyrocketing up to 8% highest rates in 20 years, which means then that uh, people are going to take out more credit card debt because they can't make it, which means then that you're going to end up with more credit card debt. And today we have a trillion dollars in credit card debt, the first time in U.S. history, more than a trillion dollars in credit card debt, which means more bankruptcies as people can't afford to pay these this this debt off. Uh, and and just a just a cycle of of just horror is what's going on. So we got that going on. Plus, we got the Biden administration bringing into this country a bunch of uh, men from overseas that we have no idea who they are. Uh, we have no idea which country they're from. Uh, they're allowed across the border. I've heard they give them this piece of paper they'll hand to somebody, which allows them to say that they're running from some bad regime and they're they're asking for asylum. And that's enough for them to, for the U.S. government, to bring them in. They don't check who these people are. They don't validate. They don't do anything. They put them on buses and ship them to places like Sykeston, Missouri, or your community by you. And if you don't think it's happening by you, well, then your head's in the sand. This is what's going on. It's a Trojan horse and we've got monsters in our country, monsters. And it's it, 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 years, what is it? For two or 3,000 years since the Trojan horse was ever put in place, uh, it's happening again. And 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 goons like Obama and Biden, they're Goon administration that's coming after American people, imprisoning American people. That's what's going on. And uh, Americans are, are under attack economically, financially with their pocketbooks and and with this invasion of foreign military. Man, I swear to God, that whole busload that I saw unload this morning, it's on Facebook. And I put it up at joehoff.com. You can go there every day and see recent stories. It's it's just unbelievable uh, what's happening there. I had another piece this morning on on uh, from Revolver, actually. They're just kind of backing up what I've reported for some time ago as well. The Trojan horse I reported at least back in May of this year, like what's going on? We're allowing military-aged men to come into this country. We've had George Chang on this show say, or Gordon Chang say, hey, uh, there's a uh, at least 200,000 uh, Chinese military in this country today. We're finding Chinese labs in California, uh, like uh, bio labs, similar to what uh, we saw with the uh, Wuhan lab. It's just unbelievable the amount of destruction that's not just happened in this country, that's being prepared for. This is a nightmare coming. And the Biden and Obama administration don't care. They love having Biden in charge because he's a he's an absolute idiot. We all know it. He's a senile old man who shouldn't be sitting anywhere but in an old folks home. He can't take care of himself, let alone our country. And that's exactly how the fascists want it. They want to demoralize us at every turn. And that's what they're doing. And that's that's what's going on in this country. Uh, they they would just soon keep Biden in power, have him just dumb and and drooling out of his mouth. He's already fallen asleep in at venues over in the EU. Uh, 
so they could demoralize us more. It's all about a takeover. It's all about demoralizing the U.S. And, and it's been going on for some time. And there's been a number of victims, I'd say, uh, myself included. And I've shared my story a few times. But one individual who we all we all learned who he was. We all heard pieces of his story. It's George Papadopoulos. And he's on the show here, the Joe Hoff Show today on TNT Radio Live. And he's going to be with us after this. Hold tight. You should hear what George Eliasson is talking about. Donald Trump's wolves. Now, we've talked about the Colorado case, the 14th Amendment case, and the judge has denied uh, the motion to dismiss. Now, if you don't remember, the suit cites the 14th Amendment clause banning those who participate or assist in the insurrection from taking office. And they're making this legal argument based on Trump's actions before and on January 6th. And when they claim that thousands of his supporters were creating an act of sedition at the Capitol. During January 6th, um, Trump actually offered to call the National Guard in. He told the protesters to keep things peaceful. And this is all public knowledge. This isn't a political action. They're trying to control, once again, who can run for the office of president and who cannot. War of the Worlds with George Eliason on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. The conversation continues. When these parents come into that school board meeting in a huge group, they will back down. On today's News Talk Radio, TNT. We're back here on the Joe Hoff Show, and it's my distinct pleasure and honor uh, to introduce our next guest, uh, a, a young man whose life got flipped upside down a few years back for just really trying to make a living and a, and a start to his career. And all of a sudden, he found himself right in the middle of a, a hornet's nest. And uh, and so I can't wait to talk to him more about it. But, uh, but the great George Papadopoulos is with us today. Welcome, George. Thanks a lot for having me, Joe. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, no, it's great having you. Like I mentioned uh, briefly during the break here, I've met your wife. I haven't met her. I've, I've talked to her on, on this show and, and I believe on another radio show I had and also um, have... Uh, have had some communications with her. She's been challenged uh, through this whole episode in your career as well. And uh, just shocking all that, all that happened. I'm really anxious. I, I know, I know some, I know quite a bit, but I'm really anxious to hear the story from you. I know that you uh, were a young man, I, I believe from Chicago, if that's correct. And you were found yourself overseas and all of a sudden people like uh, Joseph Mithsid and, and others uh, came into your life. And after that experience, your life was flipped upside down. So why don't you tell us a bit about, uh, you know, your start, how you got over to Europe, what happened then leading up to meeting uh, George or, or Joseph Mifsud? Yeah, uh, so I, I was relatively young. If you if you consider that, uh, you know, people running for the presidency right now were in their late 70s, Biden obviously is uh, 80 or close to 80. And uh, back when I was in my late 20s, 
um, I had just finished working at a think tank called the Hudson Institute, which is uh, back then, uh, I, I, I guess I appreciated a different ideology, which was more of a, like a neoconservative, you know, war, you know, bang the war drums kind of ideology. And a lot of my colleagues were people who held high ranking positions during the Reagan administration, the George H.W. Bush administration, the George W. Bush administration. You had people like Douglas Fife, Scooter Libby, uh, Seth Cropsey. Um, these were some of my colleagues, obviously. They were part of the failed Iraq war and Afghanistan strategies. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. So going into the summer of 2015, after I started to lose faith in that type of ideology, that type of strategy, that type of future for the American people or for the United States as a whole, I looked around and I saw candidates in the summer of 2015 that I thought really espoused a new direction for the American people, for American freedom, prosperity, and security. And two candidates really stood out to me. The first was Ben Carson, who is an incredible guy. I really thought he epitomized the American dream. And I worked for him first. Actually, I was an advisor to Ben Carson and his presidential campaign first. And after he dropped out, then I joined Donald Trump's campaign in March of 2016. And then the rest really is history in terms of the entire global intelligence community falling into my lap, the spying uh, situation that went on. And it really was designed to utilize specific elements of a campaign to overthrow an administration. And that's really what I was caught in the crosshairs of. It was unbelievable. You, yeah, you mentioned that Ben Carson, too, was a great guy. And Trump ended up bringing him into his administration. I think he did a great job. And he's a good man, good Christian man, this brilliant guy. So I could see why you're attracted to him. I, you know, I was, too. Uh, I fell on the Trump train as well as Jim. I think the thing that grabbed me about Trump was he was he was hitting the media. And he was saying, you guys lie. And nobody had ever said that before. And it was so refreshing. Because I've, I've, I, from a distance through 2016, was a corporate executive over in Hong Kong, and I'm watching uh, things in the U.S. and getting a, a bird's eye view through Jim at the Gateway Pundit, and uh, could see this media that was had a whole separate narrative than 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 reality, especially under Obama, and so that was real refreshing for me and Jim, and then um, and then we jumped on the Trump train right away, and uh, we didn't, you know, we didn't hear your your name probably didn't read your name until there was this pressure that was put on Trump in early, might have been early 2016. They said, Hey, you don't know anything about foreign policy. Who's your list of people that are gonna that are gonna help you to better understand uh, the world? And I believe your name was on that list, wasn't it? And Carter Pages. How did how is it first of all, correct me if I'm wrong, but secondly, how did you get your name on that list? Yeah, so uh like I mentioned, I, I think it was the Basically, the background I had in energy, the Hudson Institute, then obviously working for another presidential campaign, because obviously there's been so much misinformation, disinformation thrown out there. People felt that, you know, George Papadopoulos kind of fell from the sky into a presidential campaign in the heat of the moment. And uh, that's what happened. Actually, there's nothing further than the truth. You know, I, like I said, I spent my entire career after grad school working in a very prominent think tank with some of the people I just mentioned, 
then worked for Ben Carson's presidential campaign. And after Ben Carson was obviously the only candidate who actually even led in the polls. See, people forget that they thought Trump was leading from A to Z throughout the 2016 campaign. Carson was the only candidate that actually had a short term uh, you know, blip where he was in front of Trump. Then, of course, you had the terrorist attacks in Brussels, if you remember, and people mm. decided we need a stronger leader. We need somebody who's going to take charge really, you know, provide security or at least take a tough approach to really the same kind of issues we're dealing with today, Islamic extremism, Islamist, uh, you know, violence that we're seeing uh, now between Israel and the Hamas and how it's really reverberating throughout the United States. So that's how I joined Trump's campaign. And yes, I was part of that group. It was with Michael Flynn, Carter Page, I think a couple others. And then that group obviously evolved and metastasized into a much bigger advisory panel. Yeah, the thing that I, I, as I look back, and this is something I discovered or uncovered shortly after your story, or at some point, maybe even a year after, was that I, I, I somehow stumbled upon some information that it was, it was Jeff Sessions that put this team together. Is that correct? Was this team, this foreign team, Sessions? Uh, senator, he was a senator at the time, um, yeah. so he was certainly at the head of the advisory group because i remember during our meeting with trump and the advisory group trump was on one end of the table then jeff sessions was on the other end of the table and the candidate at that time would defer to jeff sessions in terms of you know you know uh the input from the various members i remember when i brought up this uh infamous idea of setting up a meeting between trump and putin during the campaign he deferred to Jeff Sessions, Jeff, what do you think, you know, and some of the others and all this kind of stuff. So little did I know, and here's a really important part of this entire story, right? Little did I know that my background that I, I briefly discussed here actually put a target on me that followed me into my work with Trump's campaign. See, when I met all of these infamous spies, all of these meetings, you don't simply walk into meetings with the equivalent of the Secretary of State of the United States, or the minister or the secretary of defense within working for a presidential campaign in, in two weeks. So I think that there was a target already on Trump the moment he decided to announce the deep state and the global intelligence apparatus was monitoring any viable threat to Hillary Clinton. And they targeted conservative presidential campaigns. I'm certainly sure Trump's campaign wasn't the only one targeted. I know Ted Cruz. I remember was discussing that his campaign might have been targeted, probably Ben Carson's when he, when he was leading in the polls. So basically what I'm saying here is it wasn't simply a random act of God no. that the spying happened or it spontaneously happened. You had General Flynn targeted in London the way I was targeted, except he was targeted by the same people going back in 2015. So this entire thing was a setup. It was a predetermined, pre-planned setup. And in my book, uh, Deep State Target, I really uh, detail the intricate you know, ways that they went about this thing, which we would probably take hours to have to get to the core of. Wow. Yeah, I, I've got to get your book, George. I, I never have, and I apologize for that. But I've, I know I'd love it because I was so involved with this. What happened in my, my career was executive over in Hong Kong. 
I started writing for Jim at the Gateway Pundit in 2016 after we both fell in love with Trump. From that period on, I wrote at least one post a day for about five years. And then in 2020, came to the U.S. and started writing full time at the Gateway Pundit alongside Jim. And uh, with and and I started writing about the uh, Mueller exam. And there were some guys that joined me that had some that were pretty, you know, people. What would happen is you would attract smart people. And you had to be careful because some of these people, I think, were inserted to send me garbage information. There were some others that were really spot on, and we started to destroy the Mueller exam. My 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 question. Uh, I'm going to throw this on the table, George. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. You don't have to answer, but do you believe? See, see, after after this whole thing with Sessions, I was so disgusted with Jeff Sessions that he allowed this Mueller exam to continue with this rabid group of people being a, a CPA. You can't, there's conflict of interest. You can't do an audit if there's even the appearance of a conflict. Yet this whole team was rabidly conflicted against Trump. And Sessions allowed that to happen. And I look back and I question, here's my question for you. And I think maybe you can, you know what I'm going to ask. Was Jeff Sessions involved in this? Because he brought you in. He brought in Carter Jones, Flynn, three people that were targeted. So was he behind the scenes? He also was the only senator that I'm aware of, as I recall, that really jumped on the Trump team. And so my question now, with hindsight, looking back, was he involved? Was he working to set up President Trump rather than to be his ally? What do you think? Well, let me let me qualify your question for a second. So what really happened here? And if there's one thing I want you and your viewers to get out of this interview we're having is replace the word Russia with CIA, MI6 and FBI. That's really what went on during the 2016 campaign. These groups, meaning the intelligence community of the West, including countries in, in Italy and the Five Eyes Intelligence Group, New Zealand, Canada, Australia, England, and the United States, they really concocted this plan to take down President Trump. They were all heavily invested in this operation, and I believe they all had vested interests in Hillary Clinton winning. So the reason I mention this is when you have these type of organizations involved and you have the type of manpower and money and surveillance that went into basically overthrowing a president, a sitting senator is a sitting duck in the crosshairs of this group, just like I was, just like uh, you know Flynn was. And I don't know what happened with Sessions, but if I would surmise what I think really happened, I think they threatened him. I think they threatened Sessions with pro potentially prosecuting him, probably for some garbage like perjury or, you know, when they were going after everybody, interviewing them, uh, you know, doing God knows what to them. And they probably said, listen, if you don't cooperate or if you don't allow us to go after the main fish, which is the president, we're going to go after you or we're going to go after your family. They did it to me. They did it to Michael Flynn, where they were going after his son. So you saw this disturbing pattern emerge where the collateral damage, meaning the associates or even the senator who is an attorney general, were all basically meet for the grinder to get Trump. So I think that's what happened. I think that's exactly why uh, he was defanged and why he allowed these, these you know partisan hacks to do what they did. And unfortunately for Trump, there's another disturbing trend. He decided to really trust while he was president, I'm not talking about the campaign, but while he was president, people who were backstabbers, 
who weren't loyal and were actually working to undermine him, including Attorney General Barr later on. And uh, for that matter, my my opinion now is, uh, see, I, I'm I'm just so sinister. I just think this stuff's been so rabidly uh, just illegal, unconstitutional, and just really a coup d'etat. And these guys are going to do anything. We're seeing what's going on now. I just mentioned with the border and everything else. I just, I'm just wondering if Sessions wasn't involved. I'm, I'm, um, I, and and Mike Pence as well. And um, written three books on the election steal. One of them's January 6th. And Pence had some. I think he had the duty to step in and say these things, these elections are not certifiable. And he passed on that. And I just thought that's when I thought mm, maybe he was in on this all for four years as well. So I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. So you ended up, you were, I, my understanding was you were actually working for Israel with a, uh, with an, like you mentioned, the energy sector. There was some oil that they had, had found or located in the Mediterranean. They were hoping to build a pipeline to Europe. And you were helping them, uh, rep my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, to try to get a pipeline built to Europe. And my understanding was that it was killed that Obama somehow uh, they they pushed through it was either ukraine russia or israel and israel was not going to get that get anything happen so is that how you were brought into this so actually it's very i'm very happy you did bring this up because two let's look at facts when i was interviewed by Mueller's team after you know about 30 hours of them interviewing me or whatever they were trying to do they basically were telling me that we're going to try and frame you as some sort of Israeli agent. And I said, what are you talking about? I've, you know, I've never taken a penny from the Israeli government. I've never, uh, you know, done anything illegal with any foreign governments. I'm actually, you know, I, of course I worked in foreign policy all my career. I worked in a think tank. I, I worked as a foreign policy advisor to presidential campaigns. Obviously I have foreign contacts, you know, and, and I, I brokered the meeting that Trump had with the Egyptian president with Steve Bannon. So, yeah, of course, I know people. And once they told me that, I said, okay, now I know what this really is all about. Remember how I mentioned that there was a target following me into these campaigns and this was not spontaneous and they were monitoring people who were viewed as potential enemies of the regime's foreign policy or their ideology, meaning Obama? This is what happened. So you're absolutely right. I was never representing the Israeli government. Actually, my clients were American oil companies namely uh, Noble Energy, that was operating back between 2011 and 2016 in Israel and Cyprus to develop offshore oil and gas for the first time in that country's history. So I was working with American interests, American, an American company. And the Obama administration, just to, you know, not to complicate the, the geopolitical thing, what the Obama administration wanted to do was basically allow the Muslim Brotherhood, remember the Arab Spring? It happened yeah. in 2010. Yeah. They wanted Turkey and the Arab Spring to be basically the new norm in the Middle East that basically would suffocate Israel and that the entire Middle East would become like, you know, the days of Prophet Muhammad back in 600 AD. We had a different vision for the region, and we thought that Israel should actually not have to be suffocated by these type of antiquated governing systems, but actually support more secular forces in the Middle East. That's why you know, General Sisi, when he came to power, we thought that was a good move. We thought that it would be beneficial to the United States if Israel would export its energy to Europe by working with NATO partners like Greece, 
like EU members like Cyprus and not depend on Turkey. And that really was at the core of the disagreement was, do we allow Israel to work with Turkey or Israel to work with the West? And Obama wanted Turkey to be the power in the region, and we did not want that to happen. So when I was on, when I was on the campaign, there was an infamous spy episode, and this is important when I'm, why I mentioned the background about Israel and Turkey. When I had a guy called Stefan Halper try to set me up in, in, in the UK, you've probably heard of this name because he was all over yeah, the sure. media. He set up Flynn with, with that Russian woman, Svetlana Lokova. He set me up with a Turkish national who was masquerading as a honeypot and a research assistant to him regarding this exact pipeline that we're talking about right now. It didn't work. And, you know, I, I cover this in the book, so I don't want to get into, you know, too many, you know, the complicated details about that. But this is some of the evidence, I mean, of why this followed me. And the last thing I'll say about this, if you look at the situation today in Israel and Gaza, it's all about the oil. And I believe that Turkey itself is going to get involved based on this situation and why they're openly supporting Hamas. Wow. I uh, hadn't even thought of that. That comes from left field for me, but that's that's amazing. I, I you know, but you're spot on. Do you, this this yeah. honeypot? Do you know her name? Do you know her real name? Yeah. So uh, I testified behind closed doors um, to the House Oversight Committee in I think 2019, 2018. I can't remember. It was either 2018 or 2019. So we're talking. Uh, actually, no, it was 2018, and it was with Mark Meadows who was the chairman at the time that he later obviously became the chief of staff of the white house. And I testified to John Ratcliffe as well, who became the head of DNI, uh, the head of the director of national intelligence. So the two congressmen that I testified about what we're talking about here, they had all this information and I told them the name of this person. Her name was Azra Turk. This was a fake name, of course. And there was a story that came out in the um, New York Times, which is very disturbing about this person and Stefan Halper, where the New York Times, not me, said this wasn't an FBI official. Remember how people thought this was simply an FBI operation with a couple fringe, you know, people like Peter Strzok and Lisa Page running amok? It wasn't. It was about the global intelligence community targeting the campaign. And the, C and the New York Times said that, basically saying she's CIA and foreign intelligence. And I told Meadows, I told John Radcliffe this, I told him about Joseph Mipsud, some of these other people that were all involved. And unfortunately, they didn't do anything with this information back at the heart of the moment when they should have used it to go on offense and to support the president. So I think the only conclusion I draw from this is because, as I explained in the beginning of this conversation, you replace the word Russia with CIA and MI6, and that's really what happened in 2016. And if they reveal to the world that the Western intelligence community was openly interfering in the presidential election, that would have deleterious consequences for NATO for the U.S. intelligence sharing, uh, uh, you know, relationship with these foreign governments, and it probably would be the end of uh, many of these security partnerships that the United States had. So they had to cover it up. I don't think not because they wanted to, 
but because it was out of necessity. And that's really why you saw Durham during the Durham testimony try to cover everything up. And then you had Matt Gates. I don't know if you saw the Durham testimony, but I highly recommend you and your viewers just to Google Matt Gates, John Durham testimony exchange. He pressed him, why are you not exposing what Papadopoulos told us, what these spies were doing to Papadopoulos and to Trump and to Flynn and others. And Durham basically sat back and was fuming, like, I want to tell you, but I can't. My hands are tied. And that really goes into what I think Attorney General Barr uh, did by handcuffing him and actually was a traitor against Trump the way that uh, we saw Sessions defamed. So it's an it's an incredible story. And uh, I really think that the main reason people should want Trump back in office is not simply because he was the best president in modern history for the economy. He secured the border. He was good on traditional values. If you believe in that kind of stuff like I do, he was great. But what's even more important than that is that he wants a clean house. He wants to usurp the deep state. He wants to end the weaponization of government, which I believe now has become the most important issue of the 2024 election because the economy is cyclical. Foreign policy can change in a heartbeat. But if you have no rule of law at home, and no trust in governments, or if you believe that the FBI is basically a tool of a party to go after their political opponents, we don't have a sustainable country then. Yeah. And that's really why yeah. I think Trump is the right guy now to take care of that problem. Yeah, I agree with that. And by the way, I was just here, you know, looking at you. Yeah, you're in your late 20s when this all came down. Has the thought ever crossed your mind that B, uh, you know, if natural laws are in place, that you might be one of the last people standing from this whole episode in U.S. history, uh, really hi historical event, and uh, it's it's just shameful, really. Ultimately, you know what happened to you. I'm just I'm so so disgusted in all this. Writing about this, I was, uh, I you know, I you mentioned this about Russia. I wrote a piece at the Gateway Pundit where I said that it looks like the the culprit here is not Russia, it's the UK. There's there there were at that point we knew of Halper, we knew of uh others uh that that you you could probably mention that it's like these people are involved, they're from the UK. Well, well, the, the, the dossier guy, um Steve, Christopher Steele's from MI6. It was like, no, it doesn't look like it's Russia. No, it looks like this is more uh, connected to the UK uh, than anything. As a matter of fact, a good friend, Tony Schaefer, I'm not sure if you met Tony. Um, Tony um, came out and and uh, said, yeah, it looks like uh, the UK was spying on Trump Tower. So they were so the CIA could use the UK MI6 to spy in the US and then use that information against Trump. And uh, Tony said that, yes, it's very plausible that's what's happening. And Tony got let go by Fox like the next day. They never had him back on. So, um, you know, the, the media was certainly involved in this as well. Uh, what uh, What's your impression, speaking about that, of the uh, New York Times and the media as they were pushing this narrative uh, for the deep state? Unfortunately, um, because I've dealt with a lot of these media, actually my wife, Simona, and I, we, we, we even have a cover story of our life in the Washington Post magazine about a lot of the stuff that we're discussing here. So it's a fascinating article. Actually, I think it was a fair article. Um, 
And uh, in that in that article, I basically told the Washington Post uh, that this was an operation with British and Australian help, and I think that the Israelis probably were involved to some extent based on some of the weird interchanges that I had with them leading to the meeting with the Australian and all this stuff with the UK. And um, it's part of, you know, the, the five eyes intelligence uh, agreement that we discussed earlier. And unfortunately, like I, like I said, I think that the media has been infiltrated and I don't think that Mockingbird is a theory. I think it's real. And I think that they are mouthpieces of the Uniparty one or of the military industrial complex. I'll give a couple examples. Besides my testimony to, uh, to Congress, like I mentioned, and this interview to the Washington Post that was fortunately published, right when my name went public, I think in October of 2017, that's when I told the New York Times I was framed. This Australian diplomat was an operative he was recording my conversation, which I testified in the FBI, basically told me he was a spy. Um, all of this stuff that we're talking about here, I tried telling the New York Times and the Washington Post, they never published a thing. I told them about Halper, they never published a thing. This is before Halper's name even went public. This is before any of this went public, before Spygate narrative, any of this stuff went public. They intentionally withheld this information because they were colluding, I believe, with the intelligence community and the deep state to take down Trump. So the media today is not doing what you're doing. It's not actually trying to uncover scandals the way they did going back to the Vietnam War. Whatever the media has evolved to today, they decide what they are allowed to reveal to the American public. And not only are they mouthpieces, I think, of these various interests, but they actually are designed to suppress information that goes against these interests that we've been discussing here today. And I think that's even more disturbing. Uh, and I it agree. goes really into the core, as I mentioned, of what America has now become, and it's unrecognizable. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, they, they, they give these little slivers and then say, okay, well, we're done with that story. We've already mentioned this. No, there's another 99% that you're leaving out that needs to be told. And uh, that's the that's the shame with this media. Hey, George, we got to go to a quick break. We'll be right back. But thanks uh, so much for joining George Papadopoulos on the Joe Hoff Show. We'll be right back. The World Health Organization's pandemic treaty is still a looming threat to our future. From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. German Federal Minister of Health Dr. Karl Lauterbach had this to say about the World Health Organization's proposed pandemic treaty. If we do not have a pandemic agreement, I fear that we lose the momentum of the pandemic. And it's an open question uh, when we, if we will ever have a pandemic agreement. Let's hope the German Federal Minister of Health's warning rings true that we lose momentum. A reminder, a pandemic treaty is nothing short of Bill Gates-funded scientists at the WHO declaring global instant lockdowns, stay-at-home orders, church closures, and vaccine and mask mandates. The World Health Organization would supersede all local authority 
and lockdowns would become global. This is our future, only if we allow it. Reject the Great Reset. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. Challenging the consensus and debunking the narrative. This is Viewpoint. Big tech companies are notorious for censoring inconvenient views. Any search for a contested topic online, Google and other search engines almost invariably rank the most politically correct views higher. Social media giants will de-platform anyone upsetting the globalists' agenda, even if they are the US president. Big tech employs so-called fact-checkers who attempt to discredit highly qualified experts not towing the establishment line. But when government officials make indisputable errors, the fact-checkers are nowhere in sight. The London-based fact-checking organization Full Fact has worked with big tech giants including Facebook, Google and Twitter. Full Fact's head of communications, Ross Haig, was formerly head of communications of the Behavioral Insights team, the notorious Nudge Unit, which employ psychological techniques to manipulate public behaviors and attitudes. Joe Hoft on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hey, we're back here on the Joe Hoff Show with Mr. George Papadopoulos. George, again, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Um, so much uh, to your story that I, I'd really love to unravel here. We'll see how much more we can get done today. Maybe we can get you back sometime soon because I just, I think your story is intriguing. And, and let me ask you this. This, this is another question. I asked you about Sessions, what you thought of him. Another key question that I've had is, really started uh, the uh, crossfire hurricane or this investigation that they're saying into Trump. Now, I thought that I heard that, um, that uh, what's his name, Durham came out and, and said that it was your discussion in the UK that started it. And correct me if I'm wrong. And then, but, but then I've also known that they invited you down to the Vatican and you were there, or at least in, in Rome, and there was a discussion there that I'd unraveled with somebody. We could tell, ah, that's the U.S. ambassador to the Vatican that may have been involved in this as well. That Was that the target that they used to start this bogus, totally garbage investigation? They were looking for an excuse to start this thing. What's what's uh, what's your belief on all this what, what and what happened? So... As I as I mentioned, that I think that there was the target following myself and others way before we ever joined Trump's campaign. So that's just very important, I think, because the fake narrative was that this thing spontaneously erupted, and uh, you know, then the FBI ran into its uh, you know work, and they were doing their patriotic duty to combat Russian disinformation, all this nonsense. So that's the fake old narrative. When you look at the real story of how this entire thing was put into motion, it really all starts in Rome, like you mentioned. And uh, that's where I met Joseph Mifsud. And Joseph Mifsud is a mysterious Maltese national uh, professor uh, who was introduced to me at a university called Link Campus. Now, Link Campus is a school. It's not a school that trains the FSB or the SVU or Russian intelligence or Iranian intelligence or any of this, it trains, later I found out, Western intelligence people. It's held symposiums with David Ignatius of the Washington Post about the CIA. I mean, we're talking a like very high level type of place. And 
when I went to this uh, campus, there was a um, the Italian foreign minister, Vincenzo Scotti, came to me. We're talking the foreign minister, the equivalent of the U.S. Secretary of State, okay? Before my name was public in the Washington Post article that you mentioned, okay? So let me just make it clear. Before my name was public in that article with Flynn about me with Trump's campaign, the Italian foreign minister knew who I was and was already arranging a meeting for me at a spy campus with Joseph Mifsud, who later created the pretext of the Russia collusion hoax. Okay. I meet with him there and he was introduced to me as somebody who knows people, knows the world, could be helpful down the line and, you know, politics and presidential campaign stuff. Now, the reason I was caught off guard and I wasn't suspicious of this entire thing is because the meeting was in Rome. The meeting was with was brokered by the Italian foreign minister. The meeting wasn't in Moscow. The meeting wasn't brokered in Tehran. Do you understand? So the moment that this entire thing was set in motion, before my name was public in the Washington Post, then the Australian government decided to meet with me three times in three weeks, leading up to this infamous bar meeting with the Australian ambassador where they were trying to basically get me to repeat what this guy Mifsud told me. And that was, hey, George, you know that the Russians have Hillary's emails. Now, it goes back to what you mentioned about this information already being public at the time. Like, if you look at Andrew uh, Judge Napolitano, he's, he, was, he used to be on Fox News. He was openly on Fox News saying, hey, that the Russians probably have Hillary's emails. It's a scandal. This was open information. So when Mifsud repeated this information to me, I think it was in April of 2016, that was, I de that was designed as a hook to get me to then repeat this to a foreign government that would then create a fake pretext to start a fake investigation. Now, the reason that the investigation didn't go anywhere and why Durham said that this should have never opened into a real investigation is because I testified that the Australian diplomat actually was a spy. I testify, if you look at my transcript to Congress, I lay out unequivocally what happened at that meeting. There's an entire chapter in my book about it. And I even reported him to the FBI and to Mueller, where I said that this guy was recording my conversation in the bar. He was asking me bizarre questions, trying to goad me into something that I had no knowledge about, just like gossip. And I reported him. And the reason that the investigation went nowhere is because I had no information. They tried to frame this information into my lap and it, you know, it just failed. So basically to summarize, this entire thing started in Rome. This entire thing was designed with the help of the Australian government to launch this investigation. And it failed because I knew nothing. And, uh, this guy Mifsud has yeah. disappeared now. Well, yeah, and he's still disappeared, isn't he? Um, the um, the thing too, Italy, Italy's government, and they were involved as well. Would you say that? Well, well, if you look at certainly a couple there, individuals, yeah. Sorry. Well, when the Italian foreign minister is brokering meetings that result in 
probably one of the biggest scandals in modern American history. Obviously, Italy's involved, right? When Joseph Mifsud, who was connected to the Italian government, is involved at the center of the scandal, then Italy is involved, unfortunately. Now, why did Italy get involved? It goes back to what I said uh, about vested interests. These governments at the time were socialists. You had the Italian government was run by Renzi, who was a socialist. He was an ally of Barack Obama. You had the UK that didn't want Brexit, and Trump was very openly Brexit. You had all of these globalist agendas that were converging at what they thought would have been the perfect moment with Hillary Clinton as Obama's third term. And I think that's why these governments decided to set up Trump, set up his guys, and they were willing to take the risk to later be exposed because they couldn't afford Trump to be president. So that's uh, unfortunately the situation that uh, happened. It was covered up to an extent, but um, should Trump get reelected, I think the first thing he should do is not only declassify all of this stuff that we're talking about, but actually reveal it to the American public as well. Well, actually, there's some information as well that um, the documents that they took uh, at Mar-a-Lago were related to this crossfire hurricane, that they went in there, they stole these documents, and then uh, labeled, said, made up this lie that President Trump didn't have the right to have these documents, and now they're charging him with that. It's it's just it's just so over the top, uh, such such incredible abuse, you just can't even believe it. It takes your breath away really every day anymore. And um, well, so I agree with that. Yeah. No, and based on what you just said, if it really was all about Russian collusion and he was holding these documents about Russia, that's already been propagated, right? That's We've had hearings. We've had three different hearings. We've had Comey, Horowitz, Durham, uh, and Mueller, I should say four hearings about this. So that was all out in the public, that fake information. If what Trump was holding at Mar-a-Lago had to do with Russians and all this garbage, this fake stuff, they wouldn't care, Right. But what they care about is what we're talking about here. I think Trump had documents revealing what we're talking about here, about the potential wiretapping of Trump Tower, the way that uh, Schaefer was discussing why they fired him at Fox, like you mentioned, about some of this stuff we're talking about here, why the FISA warrants are still blacked out, even after Trump declassified them. What really went into this stuff? Why, you know, how many governments were involved here? Why were they calling us? agents of foreign governments with no information, you know, and I think that's why they raided him to get all that stuff back so that he couldn't properly reveal it to the American public. And I think that's really what the biggest fear they have of him actually getting back into power. It's not about his economic policies or the 10% tariffs that he wants to put on China. That's not what they're afraid of. I really believe that they're afraid of him because they don't want him revealing what we're talking about here in a declassified setting to the American public, because it would totally upend both security partnerships with the US, with the West, and intelligence sharing agreements that the United States has with NATO and with these Five Eyes uh, uh, groups like Australia and the UK. So that's, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty, it's remarkable. I mean, I, I'm at a loss for words. And I've been talking about this for years, yeah. you know, just thinking of the gravity of what we're dealing with, where a sitting, an ex-president has been indicted over superfluous charges, baseless charges, in order to prevent him from getting into office, not to really clean house. And that's what this is about. Yeah. 
Thanks, George. We're going to have to end it on that, but that's perfect. <laughs> Hope to have you back. I could talk some more. Fascinating yeah. story. God bless you. So sorry you had to go through all this, but uh, thank God it was you because you're a strong young man. And I appreciate all you've done for this country and for your family and yourself. God bless you. Hope to have you back again soon. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks so much. Thank you. And we'll be back on the Joe Hoff Show tomorrow with General Flynn. So thank you. Thank you.